Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this evening's Points of View program. We are in the green room of the Veterans Building here in San Francisco. This is Wednesday, March 9th, 2011. These Points of View programs are sponsored by the Center for Dance Education. I'm Mary Wood for the Center for Dance Education. It's my pleasure to be here with you again tonight. The Center for Dance Education is directed by Charles McNeil, and our adult education programs are coordinated and administered by Cecilia Beam. Um, we, of course, record these programs for podcasting, and that gives me the opportunity to direct you to the San Francisco Ballet's website, sfballet.org where you can hear these podcasts, many other recorded um, interviews and things. There is a lot of video on the website now that is absolutely wonderful. There's a blog, Studio 455, that I hope you've discovered and will also find interesting. So I would like to again say a warm welcome to those of you here and to those of you who may be listening via the podcast. This evening's Points of View program is focused on program three. And in case you thought that sounded out of order, if you were here last week, you'll remember that that was focused on program four. Um, we actually, uh, that's an accident of programming for the scheduling for the ballet. But I really thought that the two programs go together that over a period of two weeks, the ballet is performing six works um, every other night. I just think that's a remarkable feat in and of itself for the dancers, um, but that really represent the amazing breadth and depth of the diverse repertoire. And last week, if you were here, you'll remember that we heard artistic director Helgi Thomason speak about programming and acquiring and presenting this diversity. So tonight, it's my pleasure to be able to have a conversation about this diversity and breadth with the performers. So I would like at this time to introduce our performers. And we have Sofiane Silva. Hello. And Pascal Molat. Hello. Both of these dancers really exemplify this whole concept of breadth and diversity. Um, before we go on about that, I think um, it sort of helps as a little bit of a warm-up, and also because many of our audience know you very, very well from seeing you move on the stage, um, love to know a little bit more about you. And I think um, just by way of introduction... Can you tell us how you started, where you went, and how you got here? And let me remind you to speak right into the mic because, yes, we're being recorded. And also, pause, we do have assisted, living, uh, assisted listening <laughs> devices. I could do that. That's an, <laughs> that's an edit moment in the recording. We have assisted listening devices, if anybody would like to, and um, they're available at the back, so feel free to 
scurry back and pick one up if you need. Um, again, to make sure everybody can hear, just bellow right into this mic. Sophie-Anne. All right, so my name is Sophie-Anne, uh, born in France, in Nice, um, raised by my grandmother, who uh, dropped me in a ballet studio, and I guess I got stuck. Um, started working at 14 in a German company. After a competition, I was pulled out. They were like, we want her. So I moved to Germany. And then I wanted to have a little bit of a broader experience, so I moved to Amsterdam and stayed with the Dutch National for about 11 years and danced the classics, the Balanchine. I think it was the number one European company doing most Balanchine. So that was my first, you know, getting in touch with Mr. B. And then uh, New York City Ballet. And then here. So... And the New York City Ballet experience was how many, how long of a period I'd say was about that? five years, uh, three solid, last couple of years in and out a lot, because I was missing a little bit my Europe fix and other experiences. I so, just pushed that because that gave you a lot of time to really absorb the repertoire. Oh, that's actually why I joined the company. There was no way to be... Uh, starting. I mean, this company works like nobody else. And uh, for me to really get in touch with Jerry's and Mr. B, Mr. Balanchine and Jerry Robbins, the only way was to actually be there. And, you know, they performed at the time, the winter season was like 35 ballets and another 35 for the spring. So you really didn't have a lot of room to be anywhere else. And you feel like, you know, drinking water out of the fire hose a little bit because it's like it's in your face. Uh, and then, you know, after the two years, you start to have your rep down. And then, you know, you see the costume and you basically know. So really, I really needed that time to anchor that. But then, you know. Once you have eaten different kinds of food, you also want to have that once in a while. <laughs> so that's why San Francisco was the best match. And obviously, as you know, I teach at the school too. So I was getting the other side as well, which I couldn't do in New York. So, so that's why I'm here. I'm a little more interested in this glass of wine. I've never heard San Francisco Ballet referred to that way, but I love it. Yeah. Um, what attracted you to be a little more specific about this Right, well, metaphor. what I liked about uh, San Francisco uh, was the mix rep. Like, we were doing the classics, we were doing Balanchine, we were doing experimental stuff. And as a dancer, I think if you've been challenged that way, you want to have that. Because it's such a short career anyway that that eagerness of trying to do new things is part of what we do, because otherwise you become like a, a museum. As good as a museum it can be, you don't want to be dusting off too much. It's also nice to create and also have the new energy, commissioned ballets or commissioned music. I mean, it's a wonderful way also of, of finding a movement which maybe doesn't exist yet. I'm so glad you answered it that way because mm. I, have, I don't think I've had another answer. And when I spoke with you some time ago, that was what you told me, that coming to San Francisco Ballet was because of mm -hmm. this amazingly diverse repertoire. And, and what's very important, I think, as a dancer, I think doing the classics, you basically, you know, that's your, that's your scale. That's what you train for. So doing that is always a good, you go, okay, I can still do that. You know where you are. But then you have the rules and you get to break them, which is quite wonderful, if you ask me. It's like my grandmother used to say, rules are made to be broken. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but it's true. In many ways, it's great to have your base and the classics, and then you experiment. And then it's hard physically, though. I mean, your body is just not quite used to change that much. But obviously, we make it. Pascal, your story. 
My story started um, actually for me with Michael Jackson because I wanted to do simply all Michael Jackson moves when I saw them on TV. Wrong color, darling. <laughs> and um, actually, I was uh, my mother was like taking class, uh, modern modern jazz class, and. Uh, one of them I was here and they had a little party where I executed like all the moves I got in my repertoire from Michael Jackson. <laughs> and uh, so my, um, the friend of um, my mother said, oh, I really want your son for the performance that we're going to do in two months. And so my first step on stage was like on Billie Jean. And <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> you can find that on YouTube, I believe. <laughs> Thanks. And um, at that time, I was also like, I was loving the, I was, I mean, I love soccer, obviously, still now. And my mother said, okay, it's great. You had a very beautiful experience on stage, but you cannot do both because it's just like, they are just opposite. Even like just for your muscles, structures and everything, it's okay. So you have to make a choice. And from that, it's like, I would love just to continue that experience and say, okay, if you want to continue, you have to do classical. I didn't know what it was at that time, but I, um, I did the, uh, the audition for Paris Opera School, and then they took me. So three months after my first performance, uh, I was in Paris Opera for six years. And um, from there, um, I just, like, I had, like, a, at one point a broken knee at the end of my uh, uh, curriculum with the, with the Paris Opera School, and I had to stop for a year. But after that, I past audition and I went to Belgium with the Royal Ballet of Wallonie first for one year then I wanted to upgrade a little bit so I went to the Royal Ballet of Flanders and where I did like a little bit like Sofia and I did a lot of classical work and um, at one point after four years I was like I need to be challenged in, in some other ways and for that uh, I decided to go to the Le Ballet de Monte Carlo where I was doing like a lot of contemporary ballets, but not, not that much classical. And after four years with Le Ballet Monte Carlo, I said, I still need to be challenged because I believe a dancer always needs to be challenged. So um, I said, like, I believe like San Francisco Ballet with the repertoire that they have, it's really like, it's, it's the perfect match for me. So that's why I came to audition and from there, it's been already my ninth season here. Um, how did you know about San Francisco Ballet? I had the chance to know many of the dancers before even coming to audition. And um, I knew Lorena Fejo, Joan Boada, Pierre-François Villanova. I mean, Lorena was, was with me. Joan was also with me at the Royal Ballet of Flanders. We were dancing together over there. So when I arrived in audition, I, I was already feeling comfortable knowing few people. And um, after, it's like, I would say it's his story because uh, uh, everything went so well, so smoothly, and I had the chance to dance so many diverse works from the beginning that um, it has been like a pleasure to be here to, to dance all those ballets because I believe like when I was doing, when I did four seasons in Battle of Monte Carlo, uh, I maybe danced like 15 different ballets 
I will say, like, to compare with the San Francisco Ballet, I'm doing, like, maybe in four years, I did, like, maybe the double of it, at least. Yeah, and I'd like to say, as well as a colleague, I mean, I see Pascal's name. I mean, this guy dances. Like, <laughs> he's in, like, two or three ballets out of each program. I mean, this is a lot of dancing, and he's always there, you know, like, strong. Yeah, we try to be here. <laughs> we try. We try to be here. No, but, it, I mean, it says a lot, too, on how much you're willing to give yourself to this because it's hard sometimes to have like two ballets every night. It's mm -hmm. not an, you know, and that keeps going for like, you know, five months straight. So it's, um, it's a rough, rough and schedule. Like she said earlier, I mean, we have classical, contemporary, we have like in the mixed program, mm -hmm. we have like some, we're going to speak about the diversity and styles, but like, is this true that for your body, like to have like a balancing than a Uh, a raku or something like that you don't use the same group of muscles you work differently and uh, to change uh, the style like that can be uh, very pounding for your body can be very actually hard on your body to have to go from one style to another so I'm forming a hypothesis that the dancers of San Francisco Ballet are um, the product of a certain selective breeding If you can survive this, then... Well, yeah, because it's also the way it's placed. I mean, it's really literally in six months, you have it all. I mean, whereas in Europe, you would have maybe that mix of rep, but it's, you know, the ballet, the opera, the ballet, the opera, so it's spread out over 12 months. You never have, like, a six months. So you basically mm -hmm. do the whole same thing half the time. So it, it's basically, it, it's the dancers that have to get and make it happen. Yeah. For, for me, it was a shock, like coming from a European company and arriving here the mm -hmm. first year. Uh, I remember doing like three work premieres in five days. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Like, um, yeah, the <clears throat> it was like kind of really amazing for me, even like about like being focused for each of those ballet and like transporting styles and everything. It was like a real challenge. I mean... Uh, Obviously, it didn't took me too much time to be in the mood of this uh, ballet company and his intensity, but at first it was really a shock. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite themes is um, the fact that the, the ballet world is really becoming an international community. <clears throat> that um, several generations ago, we had the English dancers, and you couldn't, they didn't accept other dancers into their company. The Danish ballet, mm -hmm. certainly the Paris Opera, mm -hmm. um, and the American companies were sort of struggling and doing our American thing of trying to be the melting pot, but it still was, uh, we were very um, starstruck by the Europeans, the Russians. Mm -hmm. um, Now, several generations later, it seems as though our company, of course, is almost renowned for how international it is. Right. But most of the other rosters of the other major companies that I see, it looks the same. There's a mix of... It has opened up a little bit, but I would still say that it still remains uh, to be that each company or each flag is very protective of their own things still. Mm -hmm. And I think there's only, I mean, you know, for French people to be out, like we're weird, you know what I mean? It's not the usual thing. Usually you do the Paris Opera, you just remain a French dancer and you remain in a French establishment. And there's a few of us that, you know, break the rules, we just escape. And, um, 
that yeah. 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 There was Alcatraz rhymes, right? <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that's still a little bit the case, but I, I do believe that you know all, also the technology that you have access to so many things by just the internet that I think people just start to understand that there's so much more outside too. So it changes the mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's beyond just arts and what we do. I think it's something that is part of our time and having access to what's going on, you know, like what's going on now in Libya. I mean, before those things you would hear, you know, you'd have a letter, you'd hear about it, but now it's like it's now. You can actually find out what happened 10 minutes ago. You so too. that whole access of it, I think also... Um, makes people wanting to see more. It, it's a bit of a consumption. Mm-hmm. You want to see more, you want to know more, you want to go to more places, and how fast can you get there? That's, I think that's also a general sense. And, yeah, that, that makes people mm-hmm. wanting more. The, um, uh, an aspect of all of this is what you all, from your diverse backgrounds, bring to this company. And then I think that perhaps um, supports the wildly diverse repertoire. What um, do you think, just in a couple of sentences, um, sorry, I have to phrase this question in two parts. Um, you were trained at the Paris Opera, which is the, the cradle. <laughs> it's where the whole world of ballet began and was nurtured. Um, is where you studied very influenced by the Paris Opera? Well, yeah, I have a French school, but um, they asked me to join four times the school, and I never wanted to go. It was just not my thing. It was, you know, uh, P- uh, Paris, I just moved to Nanterre, outside Paris, so you were in those glass windows all day. And my life was down with my grandmother, with my dog in south of France. And just the thought, I mean, first of all, we just didn't have the money. That was not even a question of can she be in Paris. But it, was, it just didn't feel mm-hmm. right. And I had a very strong bond with my first teacher. So, you, you know, if it ain't broken, don't fix it kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, I remained there until it was time to go. So we have a French a real codified way of dancing. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of the girls, it's very particular on the upper body point work. And a guy has to look like a guy. And you know what? I like that. <laughs> Regardless of what you are outside, I just think it's mm-hmm. a nice thing to have mm-hmm. a male dancer and a really girly girl, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, emphasizing to the aesthetic of fingertips, the toes, how you look, without being too much, you know? And it's also emphasized a lot about the way you do things will tell the step instead of just doing the step. So I like that approach very much. The way you walk, you know, when you start Giselle, for instance, the way you walk your first walk as, as, a, as a Willis coming, it's all about that connection to the floor, and you always have that thing to the floor. And that's a real big thing in, in French school, that they, they want you to do what it's supposed to be instead of just teaching you a step. You, um, let's, we might as well do this while we're here, um, teaching you have you explained that you came here because you would have the opportunity to teach. Is right. that um, I'm teaching an aspiration the, then to oh, become a great teacher? Absolutely. It, it, the amazing thing is being on the other side and teaching them. I'm not only trying to teach them steps, but also teaching their minds because, you know, 17, 18, we're getting to the last years before they are actually signed off to audition or maybe make it to the company. So there's a lot of... Um, stress and anxiety that goes with that level. Level A, they either get invited to get into the trainee program and they 
become part of the, of the company. Some get to straight to apprentice. And it's such a fine line because as much as it's wonderful to have the opportunity, they also need to be monitored. You can't just let them go. So trying to also give them the keys of the house and say, you know, once you go on your own, this is what you need to do. And, you know, physically, there's so much going on as a girl at 18 years old that, you know, you try to be sort of the soundbite a little bit. So I try to do that. And for me to be on the other side keeps teaching myself what it is all about. So I like that relationship very much. It's very nurturing. I believe it's a good reminder as a dancer to be a teacher because what you teach, you also teach for yourself just as, like I said, some reminder. And it's very interesting to do that. Because when you are working by yourself, you, mm. you can forget many things. But when you have to give some advice to young people, actually it's like you, are, you can ask yourself the same question. Mm-hmm. And just like, because we are talking also about discipline, which is like when you are in Paris Opera School, of course, the, the first word, discipline. <laughs> so like, it's kind of, yeah, it's army. It's mm-hmm. really a... It's, it can be very difficult. We were calling... The, I mean, I understand why you didn't want to go there because we were, to, we Gosh, were like calling no. it like the golden jail because yeah. like we said, mm-hmm. in uh, Nanterre, we had like everything at the same place, but yeah. like we were not even going outside to take some fresh air. Mm. So that's why we were calling the golden jail. But yeah, the discipline. But like, so to come back on, on that topic, it's true, like teaching others mm-hmm. like, makes you teach yourself and it's, it's good. So you've ha- you have opportunity to teach? I had like yeah, some mm-hmm. few opportunities, and mm-hmm. it's very interesting. Even like to prepare a class, to uh, to have mm-hmm. like a really uh, mm-hmm. a plan in your head, to uh, to try to uh, give them the best, you know, and being crescendo. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be like with the bar in the middle, to not have like some ethic exercise and not connected. Uh, connected mm-hmm. one to another it's it's very de- i mean being a dancer it's one thing and being a teacher it's really a complete other mm-hmm. things you know mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't come hand to hand and i think the thing that's important to to um, remind the kids because they don't know i mean i say the kids i mean at 18 you're not a kid anymore but you know there's a time where you can you know you forget warming up you don't do this you don't do that and you want you know what you get away because you're young but you get to that age where if you don't man it's lethal it's like three days where you just go, my God, I should have never. So, you know, you have to also give them that because your journey can actually be a little longer. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Anything that can take you a little longer, I'm for it because it's so short anyway. So you have to also give them that. It's like, yeah, you can do that now. You can get away with it now. But on the long run, this is not quite the solution. So that's what I mean by getting their mind ready. And sometimes the best advice is to go, you know what? You take your shoes off. You go to the park, get a book. And think about something else, you know? Like, please, like, <laughs> let's just not have this thing of, like, this mental thing where mm. ballet becomes your total life. It's just like, yeah, it is your total life, but you also have to be a human being next to being a dancer because otherwise you come on stage and there's nothing to say. That's for sure that, like, what's happening in your life will enrich you, mm-hmm. what you're going to do on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to be under a tree with a book <laughs> yeah. to and relax. Like we said before we started, we're going <laughs> to keep it PG-13. But you know what I mean? It's like you just want to also no. make them become normal human beings, just knowing they're very lucky to do what we're doing. That's all. Well, speaking of getting them onto the stage, um, I have a selection Ooh. of pictures of each of you. Here's Pascal performing 
four temperaments. Um, I'm guessing melancholic? You mentioned going to Eurag. to perform the Balanchine repertoire. Um, you talked about dancing. Balanchine repertoire itself is extraordinarily broad. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you find in the Balanchine repertoire that challenges you or fulfills you? I mean, the... the, 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 the um, Balanchine's ballet are very demanding in one way or another. It can be very athletic, or like, for example, in, 40s, in the 40s, in melancholic, you have really to capture an atmosphere, a sensitivity. So um, it, got, it got like the whole range of a dancer uh, can do on stage. Uh, like if you're doing a ballo of uh, ballo de la Regina or 40s, it's not the same thing, you know? And, um, I mean... The challenge, the biggest, for me, the biggest challenge with Balanchine is more about the athleticity, that it, the athlete, athleticity, the athletic, the athletic, the, uh, yeah, athleticism, athleticism it, yeah. that it has, like, A- athleticism, athleticism, oh, there we go, we got it, like in uh, Ballot de la Regina, but, uh, or square dance, uh, it's like very, uh, it's very demanding, uh, technically, but also for your stamina, and so s- some of the ballet like melancholic, where you you have really like to give it all, but in in a certain way, try to be right, and especially like for this one being melancholic, so the sadness to try to capture and and give a, give to the audience uh, this feeling. What did I just do? <laughs> um. Sofiane, here yes, you are. Yes, that's with, violin, um, right? Pierre Francois. Yeah. Um, and I think this is also for Timpen. No, it? that's violin concerto. Violin concerto. Aria one, okay. which was made on Karen von Arolding and um, Jean-Pierre Bonfou, another Frenchie mm-hmm. and a German. <laughs> um, well, what I like about Balanchine, beside like um, Pascal was saying, that it's usually very fast. You just like things being very perky. What I think I find the most admirable thing about Mr. B is that on the history of the dancers that made this company, uh, and they created that, I think the amount of work he's choreographed on people, he took each and every dancer and choreographed on them that he, he had something for. And the range of motion where, you know, he had uh, Meryl Ashley who was a technician, so square dance, you name it, anything that you can think of, he would do for her. You had Susan Farrell who was this lyrical, you had Peter Martins, you had Jacques D'Amboise, and you know, on everybody, he's made something that's part of history now. Um, I think that's probably what I find the most amazing thing about Balanchine, because he really made those ballets. And for the same token, Jerry, too, coming from a Broadway scene, having done so many ballets for dancers, and you know, you hear so many stories that he was such a nasty man, but he's done some really great work. So it takes away all that. And he's really made ballets that you, for me, it, whenever I do violin concerto, I can see Karen von Aroldingen going, he made this like this because that was the story of it, because it was made on her. And I got it from her. So for me, it's like a first hand kind of catch. And she always said something. She said, you know, the last days of his life before he, he died, she asked him, she said, Mr. B, what's your favorite ballet? And I thought he would go for like 
Union Jack, you know, like those massive. And he said, probably violin concerto, which is an interesting, it's like, why? Because I think the, the complexity of the patterns, the musicality, that's not easy. And he said, you know, trying to get a dancer to play this accordion, he said, you know, it was actually quite challenging. And she had that because she was a folk dance back in Germany, in Bavaria, you know. Um, so it's all those interesting stories that just, you know, basically made violin concerto aria one. And he did aria two with Peter and um, Kay Mezo, and that was a whole different atmosphere. You know, it was very powerful over her because she's a tiny little lady. So he made that for them. So I think that's really what I would point out as being a talented choreographer. He just loved his dancers. That's a wonderful insight. I hadn't actually thought about it that way before. Because people always say, oh, he loves these girls. It's like, yeah, sure, he got perfume, so he would know. In, in, uh, in say, theater in New York, you have all those long corridors. It'd be like Paris Opera. So he would get those girls perfume, so he would know who would be in the corridor. I mean, that's, that's you know, it has to tell you, like, you know, Mr. B going to, to Paris and go to Guerlain, you know, Place Vendôme, and he would get each girl because they had long hair, so, you know, you would feel those, that's what he would do. And, but you know what? He really loved his dancers. I mean, that's the nice joke, but beyond that, um, yeah, he really did stuff for them. Speaking of Jerome Robbins... Um, there's Pascal in one of my favorite roles. It was a stiff uh, day. Very stiff day, Pascal. <laughs> we, um, I think when I see you do a very classical role, it strikes me that you are acting the part of a classical dancer because I usually think of you acting a part. Uh, is it fair to say that's a favorite aspect of your career or is... Is that just how you've ended up? Uh, but being an actor for me cannot be detached to be with the dancer. Um, like, of course, you have like some abstract piece where you don't need to relate any story, but still you can like relate an energy, an atmosphere, or something. But um, I've, I have always like a lot of fun when I have to tell a story to somebody. So I will say that, like for example, for Fancy Free because it's also so casual, but also so precise, the choreography, the, the music. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I mean, like to have like a support like this ballet and, and have the chance to dance it, I mean, it just enriches you like mm-hmm. in so many ways and having like so much fun. Even if this variation, like doing the double tour en l'air finish, finish in split, <laughs> it's quite challenging, but <laughs> when you do those little things, I'm like, okay, I've, I've done it. It's great. <laughs> um, this is um, Odea, Sofiane, and yeah. there's several things I want to know about this particular piece. Right. This is um, in the middle, in the middle, somewhat elevated, choreographed by William Forsyth, mm-hmm. who did choreograph Artifact Suite, which is on program three, which many of you will see tonight. Um, there's this interesting phenomenon of this hairdo. Now, we're sitting here looking at you with curly brown hair. And there is this amazing flipping red wig. And I have heard some stories about this. 
Well, the, uh, um, when it was made on Sylvie, that we're talking about 20 years ago, she had those she had that hairdo and I guess you know she did that and they moved on and she always wear wigs and stuff so I guess middle sort of always came with a wig but I just looked a little too orangey so they they were like mm, maybe not just you know go with your own hair but at first I think it comes with the ballet it's like people could just come with their dues because we have to put it back I mean middle was made tw- more than 20 years ago 89 yeah yeah 89 um, I mean Paris Opera was just like it was premiered at the Paris Opera, and people were like, what was that? And we're not even talking about the music. Like, people were just like, they, just, they couldn't put it anywhere. Like, we like, we don't. The dancers were so amazing. And that really took off because, I mean, Billy was doing choreographies in Stuttgart. He was there based. But really, middle was the first taking off for him. And then it became it became what we know now. But the very first, I remember, there was a, a huge thing. They had, like invites for the Paris Opera and the ballet masters and all, but it was a bit like, uh, okay, this is so out there that people just didn't really, you know, if, as a good French, you know, would do, it's like, where does this belong, you know? Is this classic? Is this modern? Is this contemporary? I mean, where, what do we do with that? Like, they couldn't label it. And I think that really threw his career, and that was quite wonderful. But I think the way, I think that's the story, really. There's, there's not a real story beside that. It was made on those people that had those hair. So and the wig has followed the ballet to some I, extent. Yeah. And yeah. you know, people come with hairdos. I mean, I've seen it with Frankfurt. I mean, people come with blue hair. I mean, you know, things that you go, okay, peace. You know, uh, <laughs> it's like fine. Uh, I kind of like to keep it sort of to who people are. Also, because you're pretty naked. You know, like a, 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 like bathing suit and black tights. It's like there was no there was no budget for costumes or something. You know, it's just, just wonder. You go. Did something happen? Like everything went to, went somewhere else because it's it's very pure, but it's a fantastic ballet. And there is something about that animal instinct energy which you find in Artifact, which I think for dancers it's totally fierce because it's like you just go, you don't think. There is not like you know, you know, in classical ballet usually when you have the wedding partner, he bows, she bows, he offers the hand, she gives the hand. I mean, this is like no dinner, you go, boom, boom, done. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's like, oh, all right, um, okay, I guess we're doing this, you know. And in Artifact, what's challenging, too, is that when it gets really dark, I mean, you know his hand is at the end of the arm, but you don't see it. So it's all about doing it, going, he's, he's my partner, he's going to be there. But you don't, you don't actually see it. So it's all about that feeling of going, I know he's behind, he's on my right, he's on my left. And, and it's also trying to see how far you can go. So... He's a great dude. Let's just give him well, that. We, we'll say a little bit more about him when we're talking yes. about artifacts specifically. But um, it, I think this picture really does illustrate the physicality. Never mind. I give up my, my mm-hmm. papers. Um, the physicality and right. the, the extremes right. that, to which he pushes the dancers. Oh, and he pushes you like, no, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And oh, he's yeah. the kind of guy you actually... There is no, I remember we had him, because uh, Artifact is actually a full-length ballet. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a suite here that's wonderful, but it's actually a four-act ballet as well. That's like 
whoa. Uh, and I remember we had him for that back in Europe. And I'm telling you, you know, people would like stop at six o'clock, you know, union and stuff. I mean, when Billy was around, people worked overtime, no asking, no nothing, because the guy was, that's just the way he worked. We were just there and we would do the nine point dance. We would do the clapping for the guys and people never even blinked once because there was this real genius in front of you going, okay, it's nice. It's wonderful. But can you do this off balance? And you go, what is he talking about? You know, I'm trying to be on balance. How dare you? But you know what? It teaches you so much more about how far you can go. And then you go back to the on-balance stuff and you go, I can actually go a little further because I know I can go there and come back. You know? So it's a wonderful thing. But this guy would just pull everything out of you and there was no question you wouldn't give it to him. That's, that's true. I remember like when he came the first time to rehearse Artifact with us. Uh, we had like some special like rehearsal with him, and it's true that you want to give your soul to him when you are like one to one, and he's like even like we. I had the chance to to have he re-choreographed actually a little bit of the solo, saying to me, "Yeah, it's not challenging enough for you," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> Excuse me. You, you want to try? But he's an amazing dancer too. I mean, yeah. he just gets oh, yeah. up from he takes his sneakers off and just when does thing that you go. You are just blown away. You oh. just look and have big eyes like that. And it's like, all right, I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the funny thing I remember after we went to New York and we performed Artifact in New York. And you, I believe he was like satisfied with what I was doing. But I remember like maybe half an hour before going on stage, he came to me and I said, okay, I want you to rethink about everything you did with Artifact. Uh, like half hour before? Like half hour before. Uh, it's like, typical. It's great. It's very good. But I want you to think completely differently. And it took me like for 15 minutes alone. It's like, okay, now I want this move like that way and this intensity that way. And like you are like 15 minutes before the performance. Like, okay, what I'm, I, I don't know what I'm thinking now. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. And it's, uh, actually, it, it really tried to not destabilize you, but to make you react in a different way, to be in a different zone, to try to just be instinctive. And like, like we say, like it's all about fears. I mean, almost all of those ballets, like second detail, artifact, in the middle, it's like, it's always like walking in the extreme way. And like, I think like the most extreme way that it could work with me at that moment, it's like psychologically. It's like, okay, we're going to change everything. Even if after you, you are on stage and you don't change ev everything, but you try. You are trying to, to make it happen completely differently. And that was a, such a beautiful challenge. I remember it's like, it was over, and I was like, I don't know what I did. <laughs> but, but for the dancer, it's, we prefer to be in, like, in a secure zone and say, oh, I'm going to do this that way, yeah. this that way, this that way. And actually, you don't, it, I think... Uh, his message was like, I don't want it, anything predictable. So it was his way, I believe, to really keep it fresh and he succeed. Yeah. It puts you out of your comfort zone, which is what most ballets do. It's like you know what you're going to be doing. That's where you rehearse. That's where you fix. That's where you go over and you fix and all that. But for him, there's, that interest is not there. The interest is to see how far you're going to allow yourself to go with that guy. 
in the paddle. Yeah, being alive. And yeah. I think he takes the audience to the limits of comfort zone too. I'm sure that fire curtain when it comes down, it's like I'm, I'm yes. so jumpy to this. Like, oh God, Bailey. I mean, really, seriously. <laughs> like, does it have to have the noise? And that recording, it's pretty violent too. I mean, it's like somebody was angry. It yeah makes we makes us jump. Here we have Petrushka. We will see this later in the season. Um, this was a great triumph for you, I think. I mean, what a, what a great ballet! It's you know, it's it's coming. I mean, it's history, and there is evolution. But this ballet and and Forsyth, for example, they are not too far from each other. Believe it or not, in the way that the 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 technique and everything and the vocabulary they use, even if like here it's more about pantomime, about a, a story, it's you know it, they pass it on little by little. Balanchine, Balanchine to Forsyth. It's you know. Uh, a way that they are going, like um, each choreographer are going a little bit further with uh, the style that they 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 have been taught, and um, so when I say there is a, a link to even like from Petrushka to in the middle, it's because all this history it's like uh, an evolution about dancing, but this is true that Petrushka is uh, a story where like I, I affectionate a lot like the fact like to tell something on stage and that was the, the most beautiful opportunity I had certainly in my career with some of the ballet but it was very special to work with Isabel Fokin who, who is like the granddaughter of Fokin himself so uh, she was so into the detail but letting me also try to express as much as I could with my mouth or with just the eyes because of course, you are painted and painting like all in white with just like some contrast with the black and trying to make some faces to make sure like, uh, you know, on the balcony they receive it. Yeah, it's almost like a buto kind of thing. You really have to find something inside of you because, again, we have no words, no nothing. And it's wonderful to see Pascal in that, which I think is, you know, one of those ballets made for him. And it's, again, who he really is. Like, he can actually you know, fish it in there. It's in there. But somebody way back fished it out and said, you, you're allowed to feel this way. You're allowed to sense that. And that's what I meant about a French school, that they will try to get that heartbeat underneath going. And you know what? If you don't have that, it's like ambient CR, you know? Uh, you just fall asleep because it's so, it's so old that if you actually don't see those expressions and ground that with that makeup and that wig, it's, it's hard to get away with that. I mean, you really have to come out of your costume, basically. So it's a great challenge. And it's, I mean, as, as a dancer, as a colleague, and to watch that, it's quite wonderful to see it live. Because it is how we all started. And that's what ballet is. It's an art form that doesn't speak. You speak with your facial expression, your body, and the way you do things. This is a contrast. <laughs> uh, among the gifts you bring is that amazingly solid classical foundation that you were alluding to mm -hmm. earlier. Right. And you get a chance to do that every now and then. Right, and then, you know, I think it's like anything, music or uh, opera singers. I mean, you know, you have your bass, and f then it's a variation on the theme, as we say. But the bass is the bass. You do your foundation before your floors, before your first floor, and second or third or your roof. So once I think you have the keys of the house, then it doesn't really matter what people throw at you. 
There are other things that are more challenging when it becomes like, you know, chroma, which was one of the ballet I wanted to talk about too, that challenges your body because you haven't been really trained for that. So you have to find a way how to accommodate. With Billy, for artifact, it's basically your center becomes the, the center that you share with your partner, which is unlike classical ballet. Classical ballet, the guy has to make sure you're on that center and you remain there and you make it pretty. Um, when you have ballets like that, yes, it's just a variation on the theme of, you know, Nutcracker, and it's just, it's a real, um, what would I say, right? Um, Nutcracker is a real American holiday programming. <laughs> and, you know, you, you shouldn't miss the point. You go, oh, my God, can I hear Nutcracker again? You know, like Macy's third floor shoe department? Uh, <laughs> But you know what? Even though we've heard it so many years, it's still so cute. You know, you have the little bags at the beginning. It's, that's what we do. We also do that. And um, that's where you get a twist and you go, okay, it's just not cracker, but I can make something out of it. Um, you were mentioning Chroma. Chroma. This is Wayne's. from Eden, Wayne. Eden, Eden, which is um, choreographed by Wayne McGregor. And this is Pascal, actually, um, the recognizable, <laughs> almost recognizable. Um, the ballet that will, or the, the work, the dance piece that will come later in the season is called Chroma, right. also by Wayne McGregor. Um, I think most of us were intrigued by this. A lot of people loved it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't like it, were put off by it. Right. Now we're going to see something different. What do you think we're going to think? I think it's going to be the same. I you either, too. You, you're going to have like, what was that? Um, music from the White Stripes. So I think you'll have people that just love that music. So that's, you know, it's going to rock for them. Um, I think if you do understand a little bit what ballet is, you'll understand the challenge physically because it's, I mean, it's so acrobatic that, you know, it for us to actually put it back, we had to watch the video and try to identify clearly which knees and elbows belong to whom. In slow motion. I mean, it in is in slow motion. In slow motion, because we could not. It's not codify. It's not ballet step. It's, it's not, not like a glissade, a glissade assemblée, where you know this is how we train, like the notes on the paper music. This is made on the moment, which is what we talked about. How do you experiment? So for us to pick it up from Royal Ballet, it was challenging. And we are just slowly putting it back now, and it's like, okay, I know my head wasn't quite there, so it has to be his head. And, you know, you have to really figure it out. And then you have to put it on music and then make it work, because it's made on other people too, so, you know, whatever happened with them, you have to make it work with your own capacities so it's going to be challenging but um for us it's going to be totally fierce but i think it'll be like a 50 50 you're going to either go oh my god or like i mean really is that what we're doing (laughs) yeah so i I don't think there'll be a middle ground but i I don't have a crystal ball i don't know i believe eden eden was a vibrant success even if, like, uh, some people of the audience didn't like it, which is, you know, you have the right, to not, you know, to not like those kind of pieces too. But uh, I believe that Chroma is exactly uh, the same breed. And um, I, pe- I believe, like, the audience are looking for more of uh, McGregor, so I don't think they're going to be disappointed. 
No, and I have to say, I mean, the, the ball cap can be a little bit of a pull-off, but again, you know, what's beautiful to me or what's beautiful to you, everything is questionable. Um, I think the fact that he stripped the dancers from, you couldn't tell who they were like, and it was all about cloning anyway. I mean, that whole song, when, you know, I come out of the stage, I'm like, uh, Dolly, you know, remember that whole story about that sheep? I mean, you really feel like a clone because it's like you're stripped down, you have nothing of what makes you. Um, it's quite daring as, as a choreographer to put that out there. Most people would go for pleasant, you know, uh, he just doesn't. And that's also very courageous, I think, as an artist to put that out there and let people deal with it. And for the dancers was, again, another one that you go, my God, how am I going to learn this? But it was very, very gratifying to go through that process. It's really all about risk, actually. And like when we were thinking about uh, Billy Forsythe in 89 with uh, In the Middle, which really like uh, was a breakthrough, I believe, like the ballet, like Eden Eden, it's also like an, another breakthrough in another direction, even if uh, their style are a little bit similar, but there is a different extension that McGregor took, would give like another twist. And um, that's why I believe like those people who liked uh, Eden Eden uh, is going to love Chroma too. We have another look here. Oh dear. Um, this is Sofiane. <laughs> yes, before um, the surgery. <laughs> the ballet is Underskin by Renata right. Zanella, and it's coming again this later this season. Um, I think actually there's Pascal with um, Lorena in the same piece, correct? And so um, I guess something I find interesting is that. Uh, Chroma or Eden Eden elicits such a um, an awful lot of response and just a lot of vocabulary, and yet William Forsythe is doing. I mean, it was sort of similar push, push, push mm-hmm. to the audience and to the dancer. Where does a work like this fit into that discussion? Well, when Renato just first. Um came into the company, I think there was also this um, similar trait of Balanchine. He looked at dancers. He took dancers, he, he really analyzed each and every one, and then made choreography on them. I think uh, someone like Billy and McGregor, I may be wrong on that one, but I think they have more of a concept first. I, don't, I mean, obviously, Renato had a concept of what he, what he was going to do, but I think a lot was us collaborating with him. I mean, granted, this was pre-Avatar. <laughs> um, you know, when they showed me that costume, I was like, whoa, wow. this is good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Grant, the technicians came backstairs. They were like, this is a great piece. And I was like, I, I know. <laughs> I know. I know what you're looking at, but it's fine. Um, but it really became this, for me, it was really this Mother Earth and, you know, we, we went out for dinner. We talked about yoga and energy and how things evolve in life. And it's a constant beginning. So a lot of that is part of this. And the music is so grand that I think he had a lot of fear of, like, how do I match that? And it, for me, it was like, well, why do we need to match that? Why don't we just do what we want to do here? And, uh, and basically, it was a real, like, you know, you would do things, and then obviously the guy's not on point, so you try to translate and go, you know, do you agree, do you feel that? And it became this. Um, 
which is a very different way of working, actually. And, and again, for me, that music is just, I, you know, like, gosh, I don't even have to do anything, really. So... Just needed to remember that Pascal, you do get to do the Nutcracker. <laughs> yes, I you do. do get more, to do more Russian than Snow, but uh, <laughs> yes. And the classic, and uh, this is a good example of you look so elegant and so danseur, and um, I just always have this feeling that you're—that's you acting the part of the danseur. Oh, I'm. I'm not sure I'm acting. I'm just trying to be like uh, we say in French, noble. Noble. Um, it's the white. It's the white. That's it's what it the, does. The white, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's the color, actually. But, yeah, we, we come from that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, mm-hmm. Sofiane was saying earlier, this is our base. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, of course, to learn the choreography of um, uh, Snopa won't take us long. To learn a choreography from McGregor, even if we are doing it in slow motion, we are not really sure about what we are seeing. You know, yeah, so yeah, it makes, yeah. you know, a big difference. But uh, because, of course, like for years and years, we, we were doing that when we were at school. Um, we are down to a final few minutes, and I do want to just flip through the program that these folks will see. Um, Classical Symphony, which was premiered last year, um, choreographed by Yuri Posikov, the resident choreographer, former dancer from our company. Is either of you appear in... Not in classical. Um, However, you're going to be able to comment on what these dancers are asked to do, which, um, if I recall, Yuri's intention was to create the most um, brilliant pyrotechnics, Mm -hmm. the display of your technical prowess. He succeeded, I believe. Yeah, I think he really did, because it's all the tricks in the book. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. with, with, with a twist. With a twist. <laughs> with a twist. <laughs> yeah. The twist. A Russian yes. twist. Yes. Like the um, double tour en l'air finish with Grand Plié. It's very Russian. Yes. Oh man. Um, just a few other, and yeah. it just everyone seems to be in the air a good part of the time. I must say. <laughs> and not to yeah. mention the girl is as high as the guy. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another point. nice. So then, in the middle of the program, um, a revival of Helgi's piece Nana's Lead, mm-hmm. which is. To me, um, just an example of once more of the breadth of what this the company can do. The company is asked to right. do. This piece is not about your technical prowess. This is about telling a story, projecting a mood, um, and an unusual um, accompaniment, which is a series of Kurt Vile songs. Yeah, and acting is so important mm-hmm. again on this because mm-hmm. if you don't do that, it's like you need subtitles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know no really honestly no, if you don't true. have the artist to do true. it it's mm-hmm. like well where's the ballet yes because yes. you're not kicking legs you're not turning you're not doing circus tricks so if you don't have that you can just simply look at your guy and know what's going on oh. that's that's hard because some mm-hmm. dancers just don't have that you, you have to really pull it out which we don't have time to get into which is a wonderful long conversation Very long. about the you come to any situation with certain gifts, but mm-hmm. then how are you taught? How is it drawn out of you? And it's all teaching. Yes, a little bit more of Nana's lead, and then we have just a few um, of the shots from Artifact Suite, which again is probably challenging to the audience in several ways. 
Um, the music is... I, I always forget that I'm listening to Bach. Back, yeah. Right. Right. Because the movement is so stretched. Right. And then the second section is this wild, minimalist piano. Mm-hmm. And she's pounding that piano. Oh, yes. Time. Oh, man. I mean, and it's live. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. And oh, she's, this, uh, Margot has been playing this for, for what, 20 years? Yeah, she still will. bangs that piano like the, like the first day. And she said, I would never miss an artifact if I can help it. And she's at that age where, honestly, she could do something else if she wanted to, but she just has this. And again, I think it's that energy of being a part of, like, she mm-hmm. bangs that piano, she's the only one. And all those dancers are like, that finale of, like, you know, come the 23, 21, and you go down, some go up. I mean, the, um, the complexity of artifact for the dancers to actually canon or get together. I mean, everybody's got to count and an amount of... And, don't mess up because everybody, it's like a domino effect. So your brain is going like this while your legs are doing something else. It's very challenging, very billy. So um, I believe that may be you. Is that you? That's yes. Pascal yes. and yes. Lorena. Pascal with Lorena. And one more. Um, here's an example of the center being between the two dancers. Right. Right, exactly right. And she's not even quite done. She's going to fall back yeah. and come back yeah. to him. Yeah. That's what Billy Forsythe called the negative space. Say that again. The negative space. Between the two. Yes. yes. It's like if you look at a tree between branches, mm-hmm. you have an, a space here. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that space. And this space for Billy Forsythe is very important. About the, yeah, the if you get too safe, he's not interested. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. why he came 15 minutes. He was like, this guy's getting too safe this, here. Yeah. That's why he bothered you. Because he bothered you. 15 <laughs> minutes before the show, it's like, I love you, but it's 15 minutes before the show. You know, go and sit down. Because I have to concentrate. But he wants to take you out of that comfort zone because he wants you to deal with that moment. And keeping that negative space is not easy because it's so much easier to know. Mm-hmm. Controlling, because that's how we train. We control everything. So, Well, I didn't plan very well because... We've basically run out of time. We like to allow time for the audience to ask questions. Sure. Many of them will be running to the performance, so we mm-hmm. really haven't allowed time for questions. I want to say thank you to each of you. I think this has been amazing. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. Thanks, honey. Thank you, so I do, if you could give me just one more minute, I do want to remind you I want to just repeat that I've been in conversation with Sofiane Silva and Pascal Molat, principal dancers with the company. I, now I want to remind you that in um, two weeks or three weeks, the next Points of View program will be downstairs in the Herbst Auditorium. It will be about Coppelia, and the guest is a dance scholar Doug Fullington, who is um, a specialist in the ballets of Petipa. He is um, on the staff at Pacific Northwest Ballet, and they have just finished performing the production of Coppelia that our company will be doing and premiering on March 19th. So we're all pretty excited about that. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks downstairs in the Herbst Auditorium. Thank you. Good night.